you would also turn in your Bibles now to Ruth. Ruth can be found on page 222 of the church Bible there in front of you. I encourage you to have a Bible in front of you to read along with me to remember that you never want to listen to any man, but to listen to the Lord himself, to be Bereans, to only do, remember the church only has that ministerial authority. That is, the church can only say what Christ has already said in his word. And so let's look to see what Christ indeed will say to us this morning. But before we read, let us go to the Lord in prayer, asking for his blessing. We need the Spirit here. We need the Spirit to open up our hearts, because if the Lord is not here, we are here in vain. So let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, asking for his blessing. Lord, once again, we, we thank you that you are not silent, but that you speak to us. The heavens are declaring the glory of God, but Lord, it is your word that convicts our hearts. It's your word that describes and directs and points us to Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you will open up our eyes a little bit more today. I pray that you will soften our hearts. I pray that you will open up our ears that we might hear of he who was crucified for rebels. We who were exiled, who have been brought in, Lord, be merciful to us and help us to be attentive to your words. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's read Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 6. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Eli Melech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These two Moabite wives, the name of the one Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years and both Malion and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. He who has ears, let him hear the word of God. Please be seated. Ruth, I think, is one of the best short stories to ever be written, ever. One, it's in the Bible, it must be great, but it's also just a wonderful story. The book of Ruth is a historical narrative, and what that means is it's a, it's a true story. It's not based on a true story, it's a real story that actually happened, that has real people with real events. Ruth is a story about someone who lost everything, emptiness. But then the Lord pours out grace and they become full. Ruth is a story about an outsider who becomes welcomed as a part of God's people. 
Ruth reminds us of the kindness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the sovereignty of God, working all things out for good. Ruth, we also hear about the line of the king. We also hear about redemption through a redeemer. And we, Ruth also prefigures the greatest story to ever be told, that is the story of Jesus Christ. Ruth is a small little book. It's only four chapters long, and it's squeezed in between these two giant pillars in the Old Testament. Here, right before it, you have Judges. You remember Judges, the, the people, they've finally taken the land. Uh, right, you have Joshua and, and, and Judges, and uh, they have finally taken the promised land. They've just been wandering around. They finally get in the land. You have Judges, uh, but the people... Once they take the land, they're spiraling down. They're out of control in sin. And then after Ruth, you have First and Second Samuel, the, the story of King David, the great story, that, like the golden age of Israel. And then squeeze right in the middle. You have this little book, Ruth. Almost seems insignificant compared to what else is going around. You have this focus on a particular family, a particular woman even. There's a, a counselor, a pastor, his name's Paul Tripp, and he's known for saying that our lives are not made up of huge, defining moments day after day, but thousands of little moments that, that mold and shape and, and chisel you to, to who you are or who you become. You might have five big life decisions that you might ever make, but every day you're making little decisions, little, little moments about what I'm going to say, how I'm going to respond. And it's those little things that affect and change you. And hopefully you'll make good choices, but sometimes you'll make bad choices. And what we see here in our text today is a bunch of bad choices a bunch of bad decisions being made. And these are not just unwise choices. These are sinful choices. And what I mean by that, not unwise is like, is it wiser to eat at Chipotle than Taco Bell? Yeah, probably, right? But it's not sinful. You have the freedom to go to Taco Bell if you want to. Makes sense? But there are choices you can make that are sinful based on fears, sins that you're not trusting the Lord, things that the Lord says directly that we can go against. And we see those choices being made, not just unwise choices, sinful choices. And the book of Proverbs lays out general wisdom that if you make bad choices, typically bad things will happen, right? Proverbs kind of gives us wisdom like that. If you make good choices, good things might happen. Um, but Ecclesiastes reminds us that life doesn't always happen like that. Uh, there's a mystery to our lives. The, our lives, our children's lives, are not just machines that you just plug in a bunch of good choices and then you get good children or you get a good life. Life doesn't happen like that. Um, things don't always expect, uh, the outcome that we expect doesn't always happen. And the, the book of Ruth reminds us that there's actually something else going on in the world, going on in our lives, that has the power to change even bad decisions. Bad decisions on top of bad decisions. There's something 
so powerful at work, so wonderful that it makes everything, in fact, turn out for good even in the midst of broken hearts and in a broken world. And what Ruth ultimately is reminding us is about God and that God pours out grace to His people, stiff-necked people, hard-hearted people, that God pours out grace upon, grace upon grace. And so Ruth reminds us that God's grace is working in our lives, and He's working all things out, even maybe through some of your terrible decisions and my terrible decisions, but He's doing it for His glorious purposes. We're looking at uh, verses 1 through 6 today, and uh, I'm broken into the three parts. You might be surprised about that, but three parts, and they all begin with the letter R. We see rarity in verse 1. We see relocation in verses 2 through 5, and then verse 6, we see return. The book of Ruth begins with these words in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Well, verse 1 helps us kind of orient us to, to the time period, what's going on in this time. This is important uh, to, to know uh, what's going on in the world and when the book is, is being written. And we're told this is when the judges ruled. Uh, as we already mentioned, the the book of Judges is really a, a mess of a time for Israel. It's not a good time. It's not a highlight for uh, Israel's history. As we've already said, they've been wandering in the desert 40 years. God brings them to the promised land. Oh, they finally make it. God shows His grace and mercy again to stubborn people, to stiff-necked people. And then what do the people of Israel do to show God? Well, we're so thankful, God. We're so, we're so grateful for how you, you've delivered us from slavery. You've brought us to the promised land. What do the people of Israel do? They disobey. They rebel. And after Joshua dies... Well, everything just goes to pot. And that's really what Judges is about. The, the Judges, you read of this repeated cycle of things increasingly getting worse. And here's the pattern that you find in Judges, uh, that the, God's people, they rebel, they fall into sin. God then acts in judgment. The people then cry out for deliverance, and God delivers them by sending them a judge. And then the cycle starts all over again. And what you see in that book is a cycle is spirals down. It's not just a cycle, but it's spiraling down and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And you even see that in the judges themselves. The first judge was Othniel. Uh, Israel does what is evil and they served other gods. God gives them over to the king of Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia. The people cry out. God provides Othniel, Caleb's younger brother. And he delivers the people. In Israel, they have peace for 40 years. But then who's the last judge? Remember? Samson. And Samson, he's called to be a Nazarite, set apart in a particular way, free from a defilement. But Samson breaks every law, every vow. Instead of avoiding contact with the dead as a Nazarite supposed to do or the people of Israel. He's scooping honey out of a corpse. And you see time and time again, it's like Samson is breaking every vow. He's not a holy person. And in, 
And even though he brings judgment upon God's enemies, he doesn't bring God's people to rest. The, ju- the book of Judges ends with the, na- the nation of Israel. They've become just as perverted, just as every other nation. There's really no difference in how the people of Israel look than every other nation around them. And Moses told the people in Deuteronomy chapter 28 that disobedience will bring curses, famine, plagues, and that's what's happening here. Disobedience has brought famine to the land. And look at the last um, verse of Judges, if you will, right? Because you're right there in, in Ruth. So you see Ruth 1, and then look at the last verse in Judges. Right before Ruth begins, and this sets the context of what's going on in Ruth. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. No king, everyone's just doing what they want. Everyone is their own king. And then we read here about a man from the tribe of Judah in the city of Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. Well, that's, a, that's an irony, isn't there? There's a famine, and he's from the house of bread. Well, and you know what his name is? His name is Eli Melech. And you know what Eli Melech means? God is king. Oh, maybe there's hope for this guy, right? Because his, his, his very name means God is king. I'm not the king. God is king. He's from the house of bread and there's famine. Maybe, maybe Eli Melech's going to make some good choices here. Maybe there's hope for him, for Israel to, to repent and he will repent, he'll bring Israel along with him, uh, and God will restore bread and blessing to Israel, right? No. Eli Melech, like a prodigal son, he gets up and he goes to a foreign land. And so we see his relocation. Eli Melech and his wife Naomi, they take their two sons, they leave the promised land, and they move to Moab. And at first reading, it might seem perfectly logical. No bread over here, bread over there. I get bread, I go here, right? So at first reading, it doesn't seem that bad. But remember, God has brought the people into the land that is theirs. This is the promised land. It was the land where God was going to dwell with his people. It was where God has promised to be with his people, The people of God are meant to be with God in the promised land, not in exile. Eli Melech and the people of Israel, they're called to repent and turn to the Lord, not stomp away from from it like some stubborn child. You know, God's disciplining us by not giving us more bread in Bethlehem. I'm going to go over here to Moab. And that's what you see. He's stomping away. He should be repenting but he doesn't. He just goes. But he should have stayed in Bethlehem. He shouldn't have gone to Moab, especially not Moab. The Moabites, they came to be by an incestuous relationship between Lot and his oldest daughter. Moab's king, Balak, hired Balaam, if you remember, to curse Israel. Moab was often seducing Israel to worship their false gods 
rather than submitting to the one and only and true God. Even in the book of Judges, children, you might remember this story, there was a king, a very large king, a fat king, Eglon. You remember? Very fat. It says that in the Bible. And the Lord, he was the king of Moab, Eglon, and left-handed Ehud was the judge. And you remember Ehud, he stabs the bad king to deliver God's people, and the guy's so fat that the hilt goes all the way in, and the fat just kind of covers over. He was the king of Moab. And God gives deliverance to the people of Israel. God, God rescued the people of Israel from Moab, didn't he? He brought a judge because the, the, the people of Israel, uh, they were enslaved. They were under Moab, and God sent uh, uh, Ehud to deliver them, and now they're free again. And what's, what's Eli Melech doing? He's going right back to Moab. Why would he do that? Well, the bread looks pretty good over there. Not so bad. And that's a, that's a pattern for Israel, isn't it? Oh, wasn't that food in Egypt really good? It's so much better than this manna in this desert. Let's go back to Egypt. And that's what's happening here. Well, Moab has bread. Doesn't that bread look pretty good? Let's go, let's go back to Moab. Is that our pattern as well? Are we drawn back to old ways and old patterns of our lives? Drawn back to the slavery of the lusts of our flesh, lusts of our eyes, pride of our life? The Bible says those aren't from the Father, those are from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Whatever does the will of God abides forever. What comforts, maybe not bread, maybe it is bread, but what comforts and pleasures are you tempted to leave God for, to leave His people for, to leave this fellowship for, and go into the places of Moab? What is the things in this world that are drawing you away? Christ has set us free. Let us repent and let us find blessing and peace in Christ. Let us be in the promised land and be traveling towards the promised land. Well, some might say, well, wasn't Eli Melech, wasn't he just just trying to take care of his family? Aren't you being a little hard on him? I mean, there was no bread in Bethlehem. Isn't he just trying to be a good provider, just trying to trying to give bread to his family? And I think that's a valid question. I think that's a good question. But you don't love your family by robbing them of blessing. You don't love your children by keeping them from the means of grace and the fellowship of God's people. So what kind of land was Moab to bring up children in rather than Israel? You don't serve your wife by leading her to a land of exile You don't serve your children by taking them to Moab because God said He would provide for His people. He said He would be their God and they would be His people. God said that in that land that the high priest would sprinkle blood of the lamb on the mercy seat and be cleansed. In that land, the high priest would lay his hands on the scapegoat and transfer the sins of the people to it so that you might be whiter than snow 
It was in that land that they, they hear types and shadows. They would hear about Jesus, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And yet, Eli Melech is taking his family away from all of that. In that land, they would sing psalms and hymns to God to praise Him and worship Him. They would hear about the snake crusher. They would hear about the grace of God through a Redeemer. But Eli Melech, he leaves it all behind. And as we already said, Eli Melech, his name means God is king, but his actions reveal to us that God was not his king. He was his king. And if you are your own king, what will you do? If you are your own king, what will you do? You will do what is right in your own eyes, just as the book of Judges ends. And that's what's happening. Is God your king? Are you doing what's right in your own eyes? Are you submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ? See, Eli Melech, he was, he was really raised in the church, wasn't he? He was raised in Israel. He was, he was from Bethlehem of all cities. But he shows that he was not one of God's people, even though he was from Bethlehem. And you see, you can be raised in the church. You can hear about Christ. You can even sing songs about Christ. You can talk about Christ, but you can be here and not be following Christ. You can be here and not submitting your heart to King Jesus. So as Joshua said, choose this day who you will serve. Go to Christ. Repent of our sojourning in Moab and like Eli Melech should have done. He should have repented and find grace, the grace of God who is who's ready and waiting, let us find mercy in Christ alone. But Eli Melech, he doesn't repent. He dies. Verse 1, if you look at it, it says he is sojourning. But then in verse 2, it says they remain there. And now we do that with our sin. You know, I'm just going to dabble in that. I'm just going to allow this one little thought to come into my mind just for a little bit. But so it is with sin. Their plan was just a sojourn through Moab. I'm just going to get some bread, maybe come back. But what they do and what we do with sin is we dabble in it for a little bit and it becomes more comfortable. So comfortable that they said, you know what, this isn't so bad. Let's just settle here. Especially with so socially acceptable sins. And what they even do is they even marry. He's, his sons marry daughters from Moab. This prodigal son makes his pig pens in uh, in Moab, and he, that's his permanent residence. He dies there. He's buried there. It's his resting place. It's not the promised land, but in the land of compromise. And so Eli Melech, he, we're told that, you know, that's the story of Eli Melech. That's it for him. He's done. He ends his life in exile. He's the, he's the prodigal child that never returns home, and he dies in the pig pens of Moab. There's not, there's not a redemption story for him. And so let, let Eli Melech be a warning to us that today is a day of salvation, that our souls might be required of us today. So let us repent today and turn to Christ. But Eli Melech, he has a wife here. Her name is Naomi, which means pleasantness. And um, her life is turned upside down in the space of half a verse. It says her husband has died and she has two sons. And now they have a choice to make. Do they repent 
And do they turn back to the promised land, or do they stay in Moab, the land of compromise? Well, they stay. We're told they stay for 10 years. And um, things were fine for 10 years. And then again, in the space of half a verse, both of Naomi's sons die, verse 5, and both Malon and Chilion die, so the women, woman was left without her two sons and her husband. It says her sons die, she's left without her sons. And that's a little redundant. It says your sons die, and now you're left without your two sons. And it's redundant because that's very significant. Because in those days, if you're an older woman, especially a widow, in a foreign land, there's no one to take care of you. There's no government handouts. There's no covenant community to help and support you. So she is in a bad situation. She's too old to get married and and have any kids, really. So what is she going to do? Well, verse 6 tells us she arose with her daughters, uh, daughters-in-law, to return to the country of Moab. And why? For she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord has visited the people and given them food. So what does Israel must have done? If you think about the cycle of the judges, what has Israel done? If there's bread back in Israel, what has Israel done? They've repented, and God's restored and blessed them again. But I think it's clear here from Naomi that she hasn't repented yet. And we'll look more of that next week, but Naomi is bitter, we'll see that. We'll see that she will encourage her daughters-in-law to stay in Moab. And if Jesus is your king, if the Lord is your king, you, you don't encourage your children to stay in exile. You encourage them to come with me, to be a part of this community. But she doesn't do that. Um, here, I think Naomi, is, she's just making another practical choice. So rather than repenting, rather than fleeing back to the promised land, she says, I'm, I'm too old to get married here. There's bread there, so let's go there. Maybe some family members can help me out. Apart from the grace of God, all of our stories should be like Eli Melek, dead and buried. And that'd be the story of us. Because we have made bad decisions too, haven't we? We have times turned from God, We've sought other things, but God stirs in our hearts, and sometimes, like Naomi and even Ruth, as we haven't even talked about Ruth yet, God will put difficult things in our lives to draw us back to Himself. And isn't that what happens to the prodigal son? He leaves his home, and God puts difficult things in his life, and that humbles him, and he returns back to God. He repents. God has a way of humbling us at times, and I think that's one thing for us to keep in mind. We see that with King David, even in his his Psalm 51, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. No one ever breaks their bones and say, yay, great. But God was humbling David that he might repent and turn to the Lord, and so David was saying, the bones you have broken, I will rejoice in them because you've drawn me back to you. Even Paul who had the the thorn in his side. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. However far this prodigal daughter travels as journeyed away from home, or however far maybe you have journeyed or maybe will journey one day, 
The path of repentance is still open while you are still alive. Today is a day of salvation. Return to the Father. Plead for mercy and he will grant you mercy. Remember Jesus. Remember that Jesus is that good older brother who left his home, that he went into exile, that that he might draw you back to the land of the living, to the promised land, that he would die for all of your stiff-necked, stubborn decisions, and then pour out grace upon grace upon grace to you. Have you wandered from home? Have you wandered from the Lord? I know you're here, but maybe your heart's wandered from the Lord. Does a way of indulgence and activities and the bread of Moab, the things of this world, seem better than what Jesus has for you? Remember that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Remember Eli Melech. God is king. Not me, not you. Let us today submit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and find blessing and favor in his eyes. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are gracious to us. There were so many instances in our lives where we have made bad choices where we have not submitted to you as king. But Lord, I pray that you would humble us, that you would draw us near. Lord, let us remember that there's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from your love. Lord, I pray that you will continue to be faithful to us um, and that Christ would be known here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.